We're going to jump into God's Word this morning. Acts chapter 20 is where we are continuing our series through the book of Acts together. How many of you enjoyed so far uh, the series in Acts? Amen. God's Word is wonderful and a blessing to our lives. Where we are this week is we're coming to the end of Paul's third missionary journey. The Apostle Paul started off as someone who was an enemy of the church, an enemy of Christ, persecuting Christians, but Jesus saved him, delivered him, and appointed him to be an apostle. His life did a total 180 as he then began to serve God, to serve Christ, and to preach and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, Luke outlines for us three distinct missions trips, missionary journeys that Paul went on evangelizing entire regions of what's now modern-day Turkey, called Asia Minor, and then even into Europe. And on this third missionary journey, he spent the bulk of his time in a city called Ephesus, which was a very large city. Some estimates place Ephesus at about 250,000 people. And Paul spent three years there. Paul evangelized there, winning people to the Lord, preaching the gospel, He trained people up in the ministry. He sent people out to do evangelism all around that region. And they had such an impact in the city of Ephesus that even the idol makers were losing business because so many people were turning to Christ and turning away from their idolatry. And so the church grew. The church grew rapidly. The church grew very large. And so to help pastor that church in Ephesus, Paul raised up, trained up, elders, leaders, pastors that were serving that church, teaching them the word of God, caring for the people, caring for the Bible terminology it uses is the flock of God or the the sheep in that church, in that flock. And so Paul, after he left Ephesus, he traveled back through Macedonia, through Europe, and he raised an offering that he was on his way now taking to Jerusalem to bring relief to the saints who were suffering there. And he's on a ship. He's taking a ship uh, that's sailing through uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And his ship makes an unscheduled stop on its way to uh, Caesarea, which was close to Jerusalem. It makes an unscheduled stop at a city, a port city called Miletus. Now, Miletus was about 30 miles from Ephesus. And so as the ship makes this unscheduled stop, Paul sends to the elders in Ephesus and he asks them to come and to meet with him there while he is there waiting. And then Paul gives to them a charge, a a commission. He gives them really his final words. You see, Paul knew that after he left, he was not coming back. He wasn't coming back to Ephesus. He wasn't coming back to Asia Minor. And so Paul knew that he would never again see these brothers, these these precious believers that he had won to Christ himself, that he had trained up personally in the ministry, that he had ordained them, appointed them, laid hands upon them, established them, and, and set them as the leaders of that church, he will never see them again. And so he invites them to come and visit with him on the seashore as he's about to board the ship and, and leave again, never to be seen by them. And so this is an incredibly heavy moment. As, as you can imagine, for three years they worked together, they served together, they lived together. They fought for the cross together. They, they won battles. They lost battles. But their general, the, the Apostle Paul, they, they will not see him again. And so he gives them this farewell address and he, he charges them with some important things. And they're important not only for them, but they're, they're important for us as well. So let's, let's read through this passage today and then we'll come back through and unpack it together. It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And just so you know that the Bible uses uh, words sometimes interchangeably. And so in the New Testament, the the writers of, of the New Testament, the apostles, they use the word elder, 
pastor, shepherd, overseer, bishop. They use all of these words interchangeably, not to describe different offices, but to describe uh, the same office, the same position. So when it's talking about elders, it's talking about pastors, it's talking about overseers, people that, that shepherd and take care of God's people. And so he calls for them to come to him, and they came to him, and he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, as he, he gives this charge to the elders, he's going to instruct them on how to care for the people of God. But he first sets himself up as an example. He first draws on the way that he lived and the way that he served and the way that he taught as an example. And he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So Paul's outlook, if you will, was not good for his life. What, what awaits him? What, what is he moving forward to is afflictions and imprisonments. That, that's what he's got on his itinerary, on his calendar. That's what's coming. He knows, he doesn't know the exact details of how it's all going to play out, but the Lord had revealed to him that what was coming was afflictions and imprisonment. But he said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify you, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And now his charge to them, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the grace of God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, as we spend time today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Lord, your word is, is powerful in that way. It is like a multifaceted, multi-layered jewel, a diamond, Lord, that, that just shines forth its light and its brilliance into our hearts. Lord, I know that to, to each one you may be even speaking something a little bit different. But Lord, we open up our hearts to you and we open up our hearts to your word. We open up our hearts to the spirit to receive what it is that you have for us today. And Lord, that as we receive it, 
that your work would be established, would be confirmed, would be strengthened in our lives. Lord, even as we sang today that you would reign, we know you reign sovereignly over all, but Lord, we, we want to see you reigning in our hearts and over our, our mind, our will, our emotions, in our soul. Lord, that we would live as lights in this dark world that needs the gospel. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from this passage, there is a lot in here, and I certainly uh, could cover many, many hours of material, but I'm not the Apostle Paul, so I can't preach till midnight. But I have pulled for you nine points, nine marks, if you will, from this passage of authentic Christian leadership. And so you're, you're sitting there and you're wondering, does he really have nine points today? I have more than nine points, but I'm just going to only share with you specifically nine points today. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each of them, but we will spend a little bit of time on them. And I'm, I'm going to give them all to you up front. So those of you who are, are note takers, you can punch them in and then you can just relax and listen and not be anxious about, did he, did he touch point seven or was that point eight? You don't have to live under any of that anxiety today. So let's, let's go through them very quickly and then we'll walk back through them spending a little bit more time. Nine marks of authentic Christian or church leadership or ministry. Number one, they serve the Lord with humility. Number two, that they are emotionally invested in their people. Number three, that they are faithful to declare the full counsel of God's word. Number four, they don't quit when things get difficult. Number five, they're preoccupied with the spiritual health of God's people. Number six, they guard against false teaching and are passionate for the truth. Number seven, they're not covetous of anyone or given to materialism. Number eight, they work hard and are not lazy. And number nine, they have a generous spirit. Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, why is it important for me to learn about authentic Christian leadership? I'm not a Christian leader. I don't lead in the church. I don't have a ministry. I can think of three or four reasons why this is important for you. Number one, you may aspire to be in ministry. You may have that in your heart. Maybe the Lord's put it on your heart to one day serve in ministry or in leadership within a local church, whether that's full-time ministry or to, to continue to work uh, a secular job, and, but still devote your time and your heart to serving the people of God. If that's you today, this is important that you understand that this is the mark. These are the, the bullseye. This is the, the goal for Christian leaders to, to put these things into practice in their lives. Uh, the second reason is that all Christians, at some level, are called to minister to one another. We're all called to be ministers to each other and to minister to one another's needs and to serve one another as the body of Christ. And as we go about doing that, this is how we do it. This is what it should look like as we serve one another and minister to one another in the body of Christ. Number three... It's important to be able to recognize authentic Christian ministry and leadership. And as much as it is my heart's desire that we would all stay together as a local church until Jesus comes back and, or until he calls us home, I, I, I'm realistic and I recognize that sometimes there are times in life where circumstances put us in a place where we're looking for a new local church body to be a part of. Whether that's that you get another job and you have to move to another city or maybe you marry someone and they're a part of another local church and you end up joining that church or maybe you just finally get tired of my preaching and you decide you got to go somewhere else. Whatever the case may be, you may find that one day you are looking for a new church. Maybe you're here today and you're on that journey. How do you know if it's a good church? How do you know if the leaders are, are authentic, are real, are genuine? This is the list. In addition to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, th these are the, the, the list. The Bible tells us what it should look like. 
And if, I won't say when, I'll say if you find yourself one day in that position of, of do looking for a local, looking, looking and trying to evaluate, is this a place where I want to place my roots? Which I believe is one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life, what church that you will be a part of. It will, it will set the, the, the trajectory of, the spiritual, of your spiritual life. It is an incredibly important decision. If you find yourself in that position, I want you to be well equipped to make a good decision and to be in a good, faithful, local church that has real, authentic Christian leaders. Number four reason why this is important is I believe that we all at some level have a flock, a flock that we attend to. Whether that's people in our business, maybe you're a business leader, you're, you're somebody who manages people or, or takes care of employees, whether that's in your family. As adults, if we have children, uh, if husbands, if you have a wife, listen, we, we have our own little flock that we take care of. And so how, how do we love and how do we serve them? Many of these are, are applicable in those other contexts as well. Some of them more specific in the church, but some of them will apply to other areas of life as well. And so these are why that this is important for us. Now, before I dive in and start unpacking these, I just want to say that teaching on this is not easy. It's not easy for me to stand up here and say that these are the marks of authentic Christian leadership because even as I'm, I'm studying and preparing this week, the Holy Spirit is convicting me of areas in my life where I need to grow in these things. And so I'm not holding this up as a list saying, these are all the wonderful things about Matt Bell. Please don't hear me saying that because that is not what I am saying. There are, there are areas on this list that, that the Lord is, is helping me to grow in. But I also want to point out to you that at the beginning of this passage that he calls the elders to come to him. And that it is very biblical for a church to not just have one pastor, but multiple pastors. Not just one elder, but a, a plurality, a multiplicity of elders, which I am thankful that we have here at Destiny Church. That our elders are a multiplicity, a plurality, a team of elders, a team of pastors. Myself, Brother Terry Cisneros, David Fisher, Armand Bazadua, Archie Alderson, Wayne Beatles. These are our elders. Amen. Thank you. And where I am weak, some of them are strong. And so we complement each other. And I believe that we thankfully have a a very uh, balanced set of gifts within our eldership that serve uh, the, the, the church body well. But again, I'm not holding this up as uh, saying we have it all figured out and that we're perfect in all of these things. But I am saying that this is what we look to and this is what we strive to and this is the standard that we are seeking to, to fulfill as we serve God's people. This is not uh, a, by way of, again, saying we're so wonderful, but this is, what, this is our target. This is our bullseye. These are the things that we aim to do as leaders in the church. And so let's walk through this again and, and let's unpack them together. The first is serving the Lord with humility. He says in verse 19 that, I've worked among you and that I've served the Lord with all humility and with tears. And what this shows us is that ministry, ministry, serving others in whatever capacity that you may find yourself doing that is first and foremost service unto the Lord. That serving others is first and foremost serving the Lord. You remember when Peter had his big mess up and he denied Christ and he said, I don't even know who he is and he tried to separate himself from Jesus because he, he thought he was going to avoid persecution by doing that. That when Jesus came to him in John 21, 
he asked Peter this question, the same question three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then what was it that Jesus asked Peter to do? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. The way that Peter is to show his love for the Lord is by taking care of the Lord's people. Serving others is how we show that we are serving the Lord. And to do it not with pride, but with humility. That, that within uh, people who are leading, that there should be evidence that there is some humility at work in their life. Of course, the Lord Jesus, the ultimate example of what it means to be humble. As he humbled himself by descending from the throne in heaven as God of the universe and to be born as a baby, taking on human flesh. What a humiliating thing for the creator of the universe to experience. Needing to be cared for, needed to be tending, tended to. As we reflect on and celebrate in this season the birth of Christ, let us not overlook the Lord's humility how he humbled himself to come and to serve not his friends, but his enemies, those who had run from him and rebelled against him. He demonstrated his humility as he got down on his hands and knees and wrapped himself in a towel as a servant and washed his disciples' feet. And then his instructions to his disciples was, as I have done for you, you now go and do likewise. Serving each other, serving each other is uh, 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 an expression of first and foremost service as unto the Lord. Ministry is not about having people serve you. Genuine, real, true Christian leadership is about you serving others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life is a ransom for many, for, for many. Again, humility is something that is very important, that, that we should all see aspects of it in our lives. And I cannot stand up before you today and tell you that I am humble because as soon as I do that, I'm not humble anymore. It's the, the thing about humility. If, as soon as you declare that you have any of it, you have lost all of it. So humility is... Again, it's not thinking less of yourself. Some people think that that's what humility is. Thinking that you're somehow, you know, a, a, you know, a rotten individual and just a, oh, poor is me attitude. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's putting others' needs and wants and desires in front of your own and to serve them in the name of Christ. And hopefully in those that are in leadership within the church, that you can see and do see that they are serving the Lord and doing so with humility. The second is we see this in verse 19, we see this in verse 31, and we see this again at the end of the passage is that Paul is emotionally invested in the lives of the people he's serving. Twice it says that he served them with tears, that he ministered to them with tears, that as they went through hardship, as they went through trials, as they suffered loss, that he was there with them, suffering the loss with them. The Bible says we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. That he's emotionally invested. He's not, he's not detached. He, he's there with them in the midst of, of the things, of the events of their lives. Again, he does it. He's, he mentions twice how he was weeping and, and, and served them with tears in his eyes. And when it gets to the end of the passage and they kneel down in the sand together as Paul's about to board the ship and they pray with one another they're all weeping. And these are, these are men 
that are weeping. This, this is, you know, first century men who were, I mean, these were manly men. Yet there's something about loving and serving one another that, that really gets to the heart of, of who they are and, and there's this emotional connection that they are even weeping together as they hug and kiss Paul goodbye. That's a first century thing, so don't be kissing me goodbye, please. You can't do that in 2020 anyway, but just in case you were tempted. All right. Um, but they're emotionally invested in the lives of their people. Number three is that they are faithful to declare the full counsel of God's word. Paul says this, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And he says, because of this, I am innocent of your blood. What does that mean? It means that Paul knew he had a responsibility before God to discharge and to declare the full counsel of God's word. And that if he didn't do that, that he would be held responsible for it. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet, God tells Ezekiel, he says, if I give you a word to declare to my people Israel and you fail to deliver that word, I will not hold them responsible, I will hold you responsible. Their blood will be on your head. But if, Ezekiel, you declare to them fully and faithfully the word that I give them, that I give to you, I, you, you have discharged your duty and they are now responsible for what they do with the word that you declare. And the same it is for the Christian pastor or elder or teacher in the body of Christ. It is our job to declare to you the full counsel of God's word, not holding anything back. Paul sets himself up as the example for this. You see, the goal of ministry is not to make people feel good, believe it or not. That, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to make you feel good, to make you comfortable, to help you have your best life. That is not what Christian ministers are here to do. We are here, the goal is to prepare you to meet God. One day you will stand before God. And it is the job of the elders of this church to get you ready for that day. It's our job to prepare the bride of Christ to meet Jesus when he returns. The Bible says that Christ is returning for a bride that is pure, that is spotless. And it is our job to prepare the bride to meet her husband. And this requires us to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. Not just the fun parts, not just the funny parts, not just the parts that preach really well or that are really encouraging, but also the parts that are uncomfortable, the parts that sometimes are awkward, the parts that bring conviction of sin. Because the goal, the objective is not that you would like me, but the objective is that you would walk in holiness and in righteousness. That's the goal. Now the temptation, of course, uh, for the minister, I'll just be transparent, when we come to certain passages of scripture, the temptation is to just tell people what they wanna hear, to butter them up, to make them feel good, so that they will like me. I, I wanna be liked, I'm a human being. I'm flesh and blood, just like you. I don't want to make people mad and upset. I, I don't want 
And, and, and just so you know, sometimes when you, you preach the word of God, it can be very convicting. And sometimes people don't like to hear it. And sometimes people get angry. And sometimes people send nasty emails. And, and, and it's just, just so you know. And so the temptation is to not hit the hard parts, to not preach the hard things. But, but this is why at Destiny, we preach through books of the Bible because it, it keeps us on track and it helps us to discharge our duty before God of declaring the whole counsel of God's word. So sometimes we'll get to a passage and it's, it's not so easy to just pick and to package into a nice little sermon. And sometimes we get to a passage where you end up preaching nine points on church leadership. But it helps us to declare the full counsel of God's word, which we have a responsibility. The elders of this church have a responsibility before God to do. James 3.1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. What prevents us and restrains us from just teaching the fun stuff or just putting together an hour of entertainment for you is that we know as leaders that we will stand before God and have to give an account for what we taught and what we preached and how we took care of God's people. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we preach through books of the Bible. It's not the most in vogue thing to do. It's not the most stylish thing to do. It's not the most trendy thing to do. It's not the, the, the quickest way to build the biggest church. But it helps the people of God get ready to meet their maker. And that is our job. And so... In the last six and a half years, together we've gone through, if you've been here with us the whole time, we've gone through eight books of the Bible together, which has been a wonderful journey. If you go to KBI, on, on, when we start KBI in the new year, you'll go through all 66 books of the Bible. And one thing it also does, is we have made a commitment to, to teach the Word of God, is that when we get to passages like this that might not seem so applicable for you, and what exactly am I supposed to do with this? But on the flip side of this, you know what it does? It keeps us as church leaders accountable. It keeps us accountable. Because we know that we're going to have to stand up here and to preach and to proclaim these things to you. And we don't want to be hypocrites. Amen. Number four. Authentic church leaders, good leaders, Christian leaders, ministers do not quit when things get hard or difficult. They stay in the fight. They keep showing up. They may get punched. You may get punched. You may get knocked down, but you keep getting up. The Apostle Paul did not quit when things got difficult. In fact, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him... <laughs> that it was going to get worse, if you can imagine that. Of everything he had been through, what awaits him is afflictions and imprisonment. And ultimately he knows even he's going to pay the price with his life to be martyred for Christ. But he says he doesn't count his life as anything. All he cares about is fulfilling the call of God on his life, fulfilling his ministry. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, 7, as he comes to the end of his life, awaiting martyrdom, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Number five is that Christian leaders are preoccupied 
with the spiritual health of God's people. The spiritual health of God's people. And he says, notice in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and also to the flock. One of the biggest mistakes that church leadership makes historically is as they pay attention to the flock, the people of God, they care for them, but they don't pay attention to themselves. Because we are, hopefully, serving the Lord, serving others with humility, have that as a, a part of our heart in who we are, sometimes leaders can fall into the trap, pastors, elders fall into the trap of only ever caring for elders to the detriment of themselves. And then they get tired, then they get weary, then their souls are depleted, and they fall into moral failure, and that doesn't do anybody any good. And so Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock of God. And so we as elders, we, 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 we are accountable to one another, we care for one another, we look after one another, and we look after the people of God, the spiritual health for the people of God. And so the, the, Paul writes this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, be careful, pay careful attention to yourself and to the teaching. Now, we know this theoretically. I don't know if we really believe this practically, but we do know that our health is based primarily on our diet, right? That your health is based on your diet. We know, we, know, we know this, that's why I said theoretically, not necessarily practically. You wouldn't know it by what we put on our plate. We, we know it in our head that, yeah, what we eat affects our body. But anyway, it's the same with your spiritual health. Your spiritual health is affected by your spiritual diet. What are you feeding on and so that's why he goes from saying, take care of the flock of God, watch over them, care for them, be concerned with their, their spiritual health, be preoccupied with this, be thinking about this, be meditating on this, be concerned about this. And this is how you do it. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, false teachers not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the word of his grace. Christian leaders preoccupied with the spiritual health of the people of God and they do so by guarding against false teaching and being passionate for the truth. I don't know if you know this, but the second most prominent topic in the New Testament, the second most prominent topic in the New Testament, the thing that the apostles and even the Lord Jesus talk about the second most, they devote the second most of their attention to is the issue of false teachers and false teaching. The number one issue is, of course, the Lord Jesus, the gospel, how to receive it and how to live in light of it. That's the number one issue, the gospel. But the second issue, the second most prominent issue in the New Testament deals with false teachers and false teaching. It was a horrible problem in the first century church. It is a horrible problem today. False teachers twisting the truth, twisting God's word to say things that it doesn't mean, to lead people on a path of destruction. Of all the 27 books of the New Testament, only two do not specifically deal with the issue of false teachers and false teaching. In 2 Corinthians 11, Apostle Paul puts it this way. 
He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This was what Paul was concerned with. This is what Paul warns the Ephesian elders about. Be alert, pay attention, watch out for false teachers and false teaching. Just so you know, everything that has the Christian label on it is not necessarily Christian. Just because they slap a sticker on it and put it in the Christian bookstore, it doesn't mean that it's Christian. I got one clap on that one. You guys don't even know what a Christian bookstore is. It's okay. Just so you know. So we, have, we as, as God's people need to be alert. We as the leaders have to be even more alert, even more in tune with God's word to protect God's people from falsehood and lies and deceit and false teaching. Moving through the, the last three of these uh, quickly as we're running out of time today, the, first, the, the seventh is that they are not covetous or given to materialism. That the goal of ministry is not the accumulation of wealth. If anyone is accumulating wealth in ministry, that's just first glaring red flag, red alarm, siren should be going off. If someone is enriching themselves on the backs of, of those people who are giving to serve the Lord, it, it's just, it's not right. Paul says, I did not covet anyone's silver or gold. He, he didn't covet anyone's stuff, that he lived a very simple and humble life, that he was not preoccupied with the accumulation of possessions or material things, things that only have temporary value. We as Christians, and especially Christian leaders, are called to lay up treasure not on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. That is the way Paul lived. That is the way Christian leaders should endeavor to live, not given to materialism, to live a, a godly, simple life. Number eight, that they are hardworking and not lazy. Uh, ministry and serving others is hard work. Again, ministry is not having people serve you. Ministry is you pouring your life out and serving others and serving people. And so as you desire and aspire to, to be a leader, to be used by God in ministry, you need to know that what you're signing up for, what you're raising your hand for, is not to be served by others, but to serve others and to work hard and not to be lazy. Number nine is that Christians are called to have a generous spirit not to be greedy, not to be stingy, but to be liberal in generosity, liberal in giving, liberal in sowing into the kingdom and to be a blessing to others. So again, I don't hold these up to you as a way of saying that we have all of this together, but I do uh, hold it up for you and, and to say this is what we aim for. This is what we shoot for. This is our, our bullseye for the elders of this church. And I'm thankful that as an elder of the church and part of our elders, I, I do see these things at work in our eldership. And we do have men who are committed to the people of God and who are committed to serving the Lord by serving God's people. Amen. Now, in conclusion, I want to I point you out to one more, point out to you one more thing. That's in verse 18 at the beginning. And this again, you could, again, if you're a note taker, you could put this in as uh, number 10. But Paul said this to the elders. He said, you yourselves know how I lived. You yourselves know how I lived. He, he's drawing their attention to the way he lived his life. He says, you know how I lived among you. You know how I 
taught you. You know how I served you. You know how I didn't covet from anyone. You know how I worked hard and how I was generous. And again, when you get to, when Paul writes the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, the way you evaluate whether someone is, is um, accredited to serve in that role is, or qualified is a better word, qualified to serve in that role is by the content of their character and how they live their life. I'll say that again. The way you evaluate a pastor, a minister, a teacher, someone who, who teaches and shares the word of God, someone who leads, the way you evaluate their ministry is by their, the content of their character and the way they live their lives. How they live, how they treat their wives, how they treat their children, how they treat those who can do nothing for them. You're supposed to be able to see those things, to watch those things. And the, the great problem in our day is that we receive Bible teaching from Christian leaders who we have no way of looking at and evaluating the content of their character or how they live their lives. So when you flip on the TV or you go on the website and, and you watch these, these teachers and preachers that are on there, how in the world are you supposed to evaluate their character? You, you never see the way they live their life. You never see their lifestyle. You never see how they treat their, their, their wife. You never see how they raise and serve their, their kids. You don't see the content of their character. You don't see their values on display. And I would just submit to you that we need to be very careful about receiving teaching from people that we have no way of evaluating their character and how they live their lives. So for me personally, I've shared this with, with you several times, I, I, I don't often listen to Bible teaching from people that I do not know personally. But when I finish today, what I will do is I'll pull up my phone, I'll get on YouTube, and I will go on and I will listen to the Word of God. I will listen to my friend, Pastor Philip Thompson in Wisconsin preach. I will listen to Paul Mason in Seguin. I will listen to Kurt Juzak in Minnesota. I will listen to Ben Bufkin in Louisiana. These men that I know, that I know are faithful, that I know their character because I know that they will rightly handle the word of God and that they will teach the truth. This is how we evaluate the, the, the messenger is by looking at the content of their character and the way that they live their lives. So we need to be very careful. You need to be very careful about the podcast, about the, 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 the TV show. And again, just because they pipe it through the air, it doesn't mean that it's good. It doesn't mean that it's solid. It doesn't mean that it's doctrinally sound. It, all it means is that it's very entertaining, which oftentimes doesn't correlate to uh, having much of any kind of spiritual meat or value. Amen. You know me. You know my wife. You know my kids. You know how we live our lives. You, can you, you know my strengths. You can see my weaknesses. You can evaluate our lives. And the same with our elders. We, we don't live detached from the people. We are here for you, to love you, to serve you. If you call, we will answer. We might, you might leave a message and we'll call you back, but we will. We're here for you. We love you. We, we want to see the people of God growing in righteousness and in holiness. And when you stand before God, we want you to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. That, that is what we want. That is what we care about. That is all we care about. Heaven forbid 
that anyone from Destiny Church would stand before God and hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. That keeps me up at night. That, that, that'll, that, even that thought brings tears to my eyes. Our, we are working, we are laboring among you, not to entertain you, not to make you feel good, but to see the work of the Spirit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit on display, that righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost would be flooding your soul and flooding your life, and that you would be ushered into the kingdom of God upon the return of Christ. I know this is not the most exciting, rah, rah, build you up kind of message, and you might be sitting there thinking, what do I do with all that? And all I have to say is, let's just stand and close in prayer today. And we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us know what to do with all of that. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it helps us, it strengthens us. Lord, I know for me personally, this is a very challenging uh, topic. And Lord, I thank you for the, the men of God that we have here at this church, the eldership. I thank you that they are genuine and real and that they do endeavor, we endeavor to lead your people in a way that brings honor and glory to you and in a way that is faithful to your word. Lord, for each of us, Lord, I know that we all have aspects and, and ways in which that we lead and serve others. Lord, help us to remember these things in our service of you as we serve others and as we love and as we give and as we bless. Lord, you've called us to be a blessing. You've blessed us to be a blessing. Lord, help us to be a blessing to those we encounter this week. Lord, give us opportunities this week even to show your love and to share your truth, to share the gospel. Lord, if, if we're struggling, if we're straying from you, bring us back. Draw us in by your spirit. Lord, I thank you for each one who is here and the plan and the purpose that you have for them, the destiny that is on their life. Lord, that you would protect us, that you would keep us safe. Lord, that you would continue to provide for us according to the promise of your word, which we know is always true and we know you are always faithful. We say thank you for being a good God to us. Lord, we just ask for you to continue to work in us this week as we live as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.